Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3 a.m. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. An unsolved mystery for us today on Mamas. I, and quite a few other true crime lovers, continue to be fascinated by this premise. Add on that it's got a vintage feel, and I'm even more intrigued. This is because I tend to question whether today's technology and advances would have made a difference in clearing up such a mystery, had they been available. Instead of coming to a halt in a case, would police have more options for tracking down a missing subject? Or would it have an opposite effect? We know that a witness testimony can often be extremely helpful, but what if we're all too distracted by our modern-day devices to notice something potentially out of place? Well, I guess we're back to square one on that deal. Some food for thought, though. With that, let's get into the real business. This week's topic is the disappearance of Virginia Carpenter. To fully understand our case on today's show, let's dive into a little of Virginia's background. Mary Virginia Carpenter was born on January 25, 1927, in Texarkana, Texas, to parents Hazel and Floyd Carpenter. At the age of three, she suffered from an accident which eventually led to the left side of her body being crippled. This resulted in Virginia wearing a brace and visiting countless doctors for years to correct her condition. At the age of 12, however, she was deemed fully cured. A few years later, at the age of 15, Virginia lost her father. While not remarkably studious during high school, she stuck with it, intending to go away to college when she graduated. Amongst my research, I stumbled upon a quote describing the girl as not particularly bright, but had great common sense. So in all, she was no dummy. After high school, Virginia attended the University of Arkansas to study journalism. But after a year of that, she decided it wasn't for her. Returning home for the summer, she told her mother that she wanted to be a laboratory technician, but this profession required training training that required Virginia to have taken science while she was in school, that of which she did not. So in 1945, she attended the Texas State College for Women to take the next steps toward her training. During her time in college, in February of 1946, Virginia's mother fell ill, and the girl immediately dropped out to return home and care for her mother. While doing so, Virginia fell ill herself with appendicitis. Now, both women were in the hospital, but luckily they were able to be discharged. Brought home by a hospital Aggie, a man named Mac, who was also a student at the Texas A&M University, the young pair immediately became smitten with one another. So much so that they were engaged soon after, but in an unexplained twist, Virginia broke it off three weeks before the wedding. After this, Virginia decided to get back on track for her education, but this required money which her and her mother did not have. Taking up a job at a local insurance firm which paid the girl well, 
Virginia continued to save. Finally, in August of 1947, she left the firm and the next month started classes at Texarkana Junior College. From this, Virginia developed a set plan for her life, which went as follows. She was to return to the Texas State College for Women, finishing up the remainder of her requirements during summer classes, and by the fall of 1948, Virginia would begin her technician training. After everything this girl had been through, considering she was only 21 by this point, the young woman was incredibly excited to begin her new life. Now, here is where we get down to what we really came here for. On June 1st, 1948, Virginia left her home in Texarkana with her mother in order to board a train destined for Denton, Texas, the home of the Texas State College for Women. Virginia's mother made later claims that she wished to drive her daughter to the school, but that Virginia insisted she take the train. No worries, this isn't an Agatha Christie-style whodunit-on-board-the-locomotive situation. Virginia arrived safely to Denton and hailed a cab. She asked the driver, one Edgar Ray Zachary, to take her to her residence hall. The rest of this encounter is from the cabbie's telling. Once they arrived around 9.30 p.m., the man noticed a light-colored convertible outside the hall with two men inside calling to Virginia. The girl seemed to recognize them, with the driver mentioning that she called back, Well, what are y'all doing over here? At this point, the girl informed the cabbie that not all of her belongings had arrived yet. In fact, she had a trunk arriving to the station in the morning and wanted to pay the man to pick it up. Zachary agreed and added he would drop it off at the hall the following day. In regards to the current items the girl had on her, Virginia told him she knew the two young men and that they would help her with her belongings. With that, Zachary drove off. The following day, the driver kept to his word, leaving Virginia's trunk in front of the hall. Unfortunately, there, untouched, it remained. Three days after Virginia arrived in Denton, her current boyfriend, Kenny Branham, called Mrs. Carpenter claiming he was unable to contact her daughter. Concerned, Hazel called the college and received life-changing news. Virginia never checked in on campus. Early the next morning, after a frantic search with some family and friends of the Carpenters, Virginia's mother reported the girl as missing. Authorities immediately investigated the two obvious suspects. First was Virginia's boyfriend, Kenny. By passing polygraph tests and with the notion that he was the first to report the girl as missing to her mother, police considered his involvement in anything nefarious unlikely. It is also worth mentioning that both her mother and boyfriend continue to assert that Virginia was incredibly excited to return to school making the authorities believe she was, in fact, kidnapped. Second up was the cab driver, Edgar Ray Zachary. As the last person to see the girl alive, he was incredibly suspicious. Two things helped to clear his name. 
one being his wife stating that he was home by 10 p.m. that evening, and the other was the act of returning her trunk the following day. Why would the man have told this story and followed through if he had killed Virginia? If her trunk remained at the station, no one would have been the wiser that he was supposed to pick it up. So with that, the focus was off the driver's involvement. That is, until 1957. Zachary's now-divorced wife informed the police that her original statement was a lie. Her former husband had not returned home that night at 10 p.m., but instead arrived around 2 or 3 in the morning. Following this, and for the remainder of his life until he died in 1984, Zachary would undergo multiple polygraph tests and questioning. Despite this, all additional investigation came up empty. Like most missing person cases, a reward for information was set up, and with this came several reports of sightings of the missing woman. While most came back as false, one account truly stood out amongst the rest. On the night of June 11th, a few days after Virginia's disappearance, a female ticket agent for the Arkansas bus station witnessed a young woman get off a bus from Texarkana and wait in the terminal. According to the agent, the woman, matching Virginia's description, looked anxious and continually paced the floor biting her lip. She also inquired about local hotels. About 10 minutes following this, a man in his mid-twenties arrived and the pair left the station. While this description might not have been enough for police to follow up, it's what happened next that sparked their attention. The attendant then claimed that the phone rang and a female caller on the other end asked if a Miss Virginia Carpenter was there. Unfortunately, although this information could have been extremely useful, it did not help to locate Virginia. During all of this, multiple theories of what happened to the young woman developed in the media. Many believe that she could have run off with a lover, that she was kidnapped, that she caught amnesia and didn't remember her former life, or more outrageously, that she was sold into white slavery. Whatever the reason, by 1955, after years of a fruitless search, Virginia was declared legally dead. 69 years her case has been cold. However, it still remains open. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on both Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help to get the show out there and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas. <laughs>